so creepy. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? It's Mike, the owner of Formal Fitness Training. Welcome to another edition of Coffee with a Trainer, or in this case, Coffee with a Coach. I'm here with the one and only Allie Gilbert slash Allie Weingroff in just a couple weeks here. Allie is someone I consider a friend. I also look at her as a coach and more importantly, as a mentor. Um, I found Allie at a Perform Better conference four or five years ago. And ever since I had the conversation going with her, I slid into her DMs. I'm like, hey, you're awesome. I really enjoyed your talk. And, you know, we've been keeping the conversation going ever since. Allie, what's going on? Dude, I can't. Was that really four or five years ago? Oh, my God. All the years blur into one. (sighs) Yeah, it's it's crazy. So, Allie, tell us a little bit about yourself and and kind of what you do, and then we'll kind of get into our conversation. Um, So for those who don't know me, please look at my Instagram. It will explain a lot. But I always forewarn people that basically there's a lot of boner talk uh, and testosterone. So the very quick version of who I am (laughs) um, is I majored in strength and conditioning or exercise science. And that led me to training golfers and training golfers led me to training predominantly men because I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut, where there's nine golf clubs and a lot of golf goes on. So golf is a sport. And I was finding myself training a lot of these type a highly stressed out ceo wall street guys and i was like okay so none of them actually ever go to the doctor unless something's like falling off or it's an emergency and the misinformation surrounding men's health and hormones is so off i was like they they need somebody they need like an advocate and so i kind of dove into learning everything i could about men's health attended medical conferences, spoke at a medical conference, which, which was interesting as the only fitness pro, uh, and just networking and building relationships with a bunch of doctors so that I could have the credibility to be able to talk about the stuff that I talk about, which is so blurring the line as I'm a fitness professional. So I'll tell you know people like I'm not a doctor. I just play one on Facebook. So if you're okay with that, I can diagnose and treat via internet. Um, but that's kind of how I landed in the men's health space, I guess. And now I do remote uh, coaching for nutrition and fitness for people everywhere. Yeah, it's very cool. And I think uh, makes it very unique that you're a female in a male dominated space, which for me is more comforting. Um, I have a team of nine people that I consider confidants in my life. You are one of them. And actually seven of them are females. And those are the people I consider my team, the people I go to for questions, people I go to for just general health, my urologist, my doctor, my massage therapist. Um, Me as a man, I feel more comfortable working with a woman. I know that may be different for everybody, but for me, I prefer working with a woman in general. I'm more likely to take advice from a woman. You know, my, my wife tells me to do something, I go do it. I'm not a yes man, but I'm definitely more lenient towards listening to a woman than a man so for me I think that's a cool thing that separates you from the pack for sure yeah it, it's um and I always get asked like you know what's that like talking about uh you know all the stuff that you talk about because I do talk about erectile dysfunction and you know things that people would not really think about talking in a fitness session per se um but you know I, I laugh because I'm like all right well my gynecologist is a guy and I'm way more comfortable with him. I think because when I go for an appointment, we talk about men's hormone stuff, but the, the fact that um, like you can specialize in the opposite sex and the health and all that and still not be the same person. So the way I word it is I think what I've been told is my delivery of this type of material diffuses the awkward conversation, makes it normal, like normalizing boners, stuff like that. Um, but also like, I, I'm not the wife who is pushing them to go to a doctor, especially if they're resistant. And I'm a woman who is acknowledging that if you have issues with erection, strength, quality, consistency, frequency, that is normal especially in your twenties and thirties, where most guys, if they're under the age of 40, they're like, 
this shouldn't be happening to me. Am I less of a man? Do I have low testosterone? Like all these thoughts go through their head and they never talk about it. And they're not going to talk about it with your friends. You're not going to talk about it in the locker room. Like, yo, I can't satisfy my wife. No one talks about that. So I do. And I talk about it the same way you and I are just chatting right now. And I think that normality about that type of topic makes them feel more comfortable because so many guys are dealing with this. And like you said, it's a conversation that happens in the DMs. It's not necessarily in the comments of what I post. So there's not necessarily like an argument or a conversation happening about everybody's erection in the comments. It's in the DMs and it's professional. It's not like creepy stuff that goes on. It's legit things that guys take forever to actually message me about. And, and I, I'm very honored that they chose me to feel comfortable with because I want to be that safe space advocate for them. So, it, but that's like, you know, when people say, is it weird being a female? I'm like, I don't know. I find it easier to talk about this stuff um, than the women's health stuff, I guess, because we women are so complicated, <laughs> but I, you know, I have an older brother. Um, like I, I played soccer with guys. I, I don't know. I, daddy issues. I have no idea why, why it's, it's like my thing, but uh, you know, I enjoy it. Yeah. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Um, with my inner circle of guy friends, it was very common to talk about like, you know, supplements you're taking and diets you're on and things like that. Um, but you didn't really want to say, Hey, like I'm, you know, moody or I, my testosterone's low, but I will say something interesting has happened with me. Um, I came out like two months ago on my podcast telling everyone, Hey, I'm on TRT because I want people to know that it's not uncommon people that you look at and you think, Oh, there's no way they have health issues sometimes do. And I've actually started talking to men 25 to 55 about it. And I am surprised how many of them have low testosterone that they know about, but they're unwilling to do anything about it for fear of side effects, which maybe we can debunk a few of those today. We don't need to go into a, you know, a clinical PhD level class about, you know, why it is safe to do TRT if you're doing it correctly. Um, but, you know, why do you think it's so hard for men to ask for help? And why is there so much spewed information out there for people saying like, oh my God, you're going to have prostate cancer automatically if you go on TRT. It, so naturally men, it's not in your, your DNA to ask for help like that. And, and, you know, I think the running joke is like men asking for directions, right? Men are problem solvers by nature. So you guys want to be able to solve things on your own. So you're less likely to ask for help, especially surrounding a topic that is taboo and sensitive and you're not sure how to navigate it. So that's why the conversation is not as normal as it is with women. Like women are very social. So they'll be like, yo, like my period is awful. Like who do you see for a doctor, blah, blah, blah. Women talk about it and they talk about it in social groups and it's like any other conversation. Obviously we've covered that men are pretty much the opposite. So to, to like kind of put it in a very basic framework, the reason why testosterone replacement therapy is so like mystery oriented, <clears throat> it's Friday, so my words are probably not at the caliber I'd like them to be, but the, the reason why guys shy away from it is it, it's been pegged as this demonized substance that is similar to doing steroids. And yes, it's a steroid hormone. However, I always say I have so many clients on TRT. And if you look at them, you would not guess, you know, cause you see a bodybuilder an IFBB pro they're gigantic. And people would be like, I don't want to look like that. Okay. Okay. Slow your roll. Like if you go on TRT, you're not going to look like that. Trust me. I have clients who are trying to look like that. Even it takes years and there's a lot of chemistry on the side you have to be injecting in addition to your therapeutic dose of testosterone. It is one of the safest compounds and it's similar to if someone goes on thyroid hormones. So many people are on thyroid hormone. You're replacing a hormone your body's not making. 
How is that different than testosterone replacement? It's not cheating because you literally don't have that hormone. And a lot of guys will be like, all right, but it's for life. You know, I don't know if I want to do this for life. And I say, okay, I can completely understand that. However, think about how, you know, a time that you felt your best and your body was like awesome, recovered really well. You had all the energy in the world. You had the highest sex drive. You you had the best mood, best focused, everything. If we brought you back to that, would you want to go backwards? And they're like, no. And I said, that's usually what happens when you go on testosterone replacement is you're never going to want to come off. And they say, well, I'm, I'm not going to produce any of my own, but you're not anyway. And if you do everything you can eat right, train, sleep, you know, handle all the lifestyle stuff, it is still inevitable that most men will end up on testosterone replacement because they cannot beat the environmental factors that are causing a lot of this. And we can get into that later, but the, um, the scariest myths are the heart attacks and the cancers. And those types of myths have been all refuted, upended. I have all the literature. I can send any of any of you guys want the studies. Like it does not cause heart attacks. And, act, and actually, if your testosterone is too low, you're more likely to have a cardiac event. So that is more of a risk factor. And if you have erectile dysfunction, you're more likely to have a cardiac event because think about what is needed for an erection is blood flow. You need blood flow and high, good blood flow is an indicator of good blood pressure. And if you have really high blood pressure, we're going to have a problem. So a lot goes into, you know, erectile strength other than just testosterone, which is another thing we can get into. And I told you I'd be going on tangents. Um, and the prostate cancer thing. So I've interviewed, you know, a few different guys on that topic and there are very few progressive urologists and doctors that understand that testosterone is not contraindicated for prostate cancer. In fact, they're, they're actually treating prostate cancer with testosterone at like super physiological levels. Like it's crazy. And I think you've heard of when I've talked about this with Dr. Jordan Grant and stuff, like they give guys um, 500 milligrams in a week because it, it, it converts into estrogen and then it helps kind of kill the cancer cells, which is the complete opposite of what you'll, you'll hear from a lot of other physicians and surgeons and stuff. They usually do what is called androgen deprivation therapy. So testosterone is an androgen. So they'll deprive your body of that and estrogen. And so basically you have no hormones. So you're chemically castrated because they want to shrink the cancer and bring the PSA down and all that stuff. Okay. Yes, we understand that. However, there's a better way. And there's guys who are on TRT and if they get diagnosed with prostate cancer, they are, they're usually pulled right off. And that does not have to be the case with every guy. And prostate cancer is something that a lot of guys will die with, but not from because it's one of those things that it's inevitable. Again, a lot of environmental stuff happening and all that. So, so those are kind of the bigger scary myths that people hear and that a lot of their GPs will say, well, it causes cancer. There's no reason to go on it. It can cause a heart attack, blah, blah, blah. And those are what people message me the most about, you know, my doctor says that, you know, if I have heart disease in my family, I shouldn't go on testosterone. And I'm like, oh no, it's like actually quite the opposite. So being able to have a network of physicians that understand all the benefits and understand the literature as to why those scary myths are not true is so useful. Cause then I can direct guys to the right person. Cause it's always like a headbutting thing with their GP or their endo, or, you know, somebody who does not understand what actually goes on with hormone replacement. And nor do they have to, I don't blame a lot of these doctors because they don't have time to go home and read the latest literature on hormones if you're an endocrinologist dealing with mostly diabetes and some other stuff. But don't scare people if you don't know something about something fully. So that's my spiel. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I know, 
there was a doctor that once said that if you live long enough, eventually you're going to get prostate cancer. And as we live older and longer lives, um, you know, that is just inevitable. But I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but to my knowledge, the, the dose is what really could produce a negative side effect in the long run. So if you're doing bodybuilding doses of testosterone, say a thousand milligrams per injection four times a week or twice a week, instead of, you know, therapeutic dose of like 75 to 150 milligrams a week, that's where some of the side effects you hear that could potentially happen. It's if you're doing those super high doses. Right. And, and usually guys who are doing super physiological doses like that are taking other compounds that are causing other problems. So when, when you take that high a dose, say you're doing it for bodybuilding, you're usually coupling that with other things that cause liver issues and, you know, are very, very harsh on the body can increase your blood pressure and stuff like that. But testosterone replacement dose very, very mild. And there's really no side effects other than feeling stronger, having rock hard boners, I don't know, sleeping better. I mean, um, it's like one of the most used pharmaceuticals for diabetes. Like it, it can actually help reverse diabetes. Um, but yeah, if you're taking too much of anything, obviously you're going to feel weird. And there are guys who, who like, you know, they start at a certain dose and then if they increase it too much, they don't feel as good as if they are on a lower dose. So, but it's not scary and detrimental if it's still therapeutic, like the high end of a therapeutic TRT dose would be like 350 to 400 milligrams. Legally, doctors can only prescribe 400 milligrams a week legally. So it's okay. very rare are guys in the 300s even. It's mostly like you said, around the 100s to 200s. And so anything beyond that, if they need that, like if they feel better on that, cool. Um, but usually, yeah, some guys won't feel as great on those really high doses and do, they have no business being there unless they're trying to do something for like some, like a physique stage or whatever. Perfect. Yeah, I think that answers a lot of questions for a lot of people. Um, let's talk about the environmental factors a little bit. Um, prior to you know meeting you, I was, you know, I knew don't drink plastic bottles that are left in the sun and things like that because the BPA through zinc that is included in the plastics, you know, there's like 15 of them. It's not just BPA. People think the other ones besides BPA are safe. There's no study saying that any plastic is safe. Um, so plastic bags, plastic bottles, plastic frozen vegetables, you stick your frozen vegetables in the plastic bag in the microwave, like, no, that's a no-no. The liner of your soups is estrogenic. Your meats, your fishes can be estrogenic. So how do we navigate the crazy world that we live in without going broke to try and avoid plastic? I mean, my big thing is aluminum water bottle. That's one of my biggest things and not using plastic bottles. Um, <laughs> it's so funny because like, Depending on my audience, when I talk about this in lectures, there's there's a certain number of slides I will add and things that I'll talk about. And if I know they're going to be overwhelmed by this craziness, then I'll only talk about a few things because it can really go down a deep rabbit hole where you're like, really, like I need to avoid this. And, uh, you know, I always mention how we used to think this was so like tree hugger, like hippies are the only ones that would carry glass water bottles. Like my friend Don Saladino would always carry a glass water bottle, like a gallon jug. And I'm like, you're such a dork, man. And this is like 10 years ago. And now I'm like, all right, you know, he was onto something. And yeah, stainless steel is, is amazing. Glass is amazing. So the, the problem is that there's things called xenoestrogens in plastics and in um, other different chemicals that have plastics in them, even like you know, the, the beauty products, you know, we've all heard of phthalates and parabens and stuff like that, where that was not really common language 10 years ago. And basically they are like fake estrogens entering your body that bind to, to the receptors and confuse your body into thinking either it's pregnant or you're producing hormones that you're not. So they're very dangerous. And if you heat up plastic, it seeps into your food or your water or stuff like that. And so that's why like, you know, living in Florida, hot water bottles in the car, I'm like, those are a big no-no. Um, and with the BPA, like you mentioned, yes, there's BP, 
any other letter in the alphabet and they can add that. They just don't have to disclose that. So it's actually um, BPA is illegal in many foreign countries besides the US. And so um, one of the things that, that has a lot of BPA on it is receipts. Like when they, the receipts come out of the machine, they're very hot and wet. There's a lot of BPA on it. So the fact that CVS gives you like a full scarf of a receipt, you don't wanna to really touch that. And so when I first ta started talking about that, all my friends were like, oh my God, people at any store think I'm so crazy because I like throw the receipt back at them and I don't want to touch it. And, and so obviously, you know, you can roll your eyes at this and everything, but little things add up. That is the whole point. Like there's estrogens in food dye and red 40 and red three are the biggest ones. Do you really have to worry about it if you're sipping on a pre-workout like once a week? Probably not. But like if you're hyper dosing with red food dye, all day long, yeah, maybe we need to, but it's the collective uh, avoidance of all these substances. So if we, you know, get rid of like our red food dye stuff, and then if we switch all our Tupperware to glass, and then if we use bath and beauty products that are, you know, free of parabens and phthalates and stuff, we're just changing our exposure to these types of chemicals. And there's a great book out there called Estrogeneration by Dr. Anthony J. And it will make you not want to leave your house and not want to do anything because he talks about all this stuff and, and you're just like, what the, but it's so true. Like the, the estrogens in our water, those don't get filtered through the Brita in the fridge. Like, you know, women who are on birth control on synthetic fake estrogens excrete it in their urine and that goes into the water system. You know, I mean, and so, you can tell like, you know, marijuana and lavender oil and things that are estrogenic. Like you can name a lot of stuff to the point where people are like, yo, this, this girl's crazy. Like, do I really have to worry about this? And I tell people, <laughs> listen, change out your, your products. Cause you're using those every day, you know, especially women you're using lotions every day, men. I know you guys love like having the shampoo, the conditioner, the shave gel, the motor oil, all in one thing. But make sure it's free of like your phthalates and, and parabens. And then when it comes to food quality, like that gets expensive. And I always laugh because I'm like, yeah, I was that trainer who was like, you have to get wild caught fish and you have to get grass fed beef and blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like, the food quality in America, the farming culture, like it, it, it's so nutty. It, it really doesn't matter. Like, all right, if we can get local grass-fed beef, because you know the farm, amazing. Otherwise, if you buy it from the supermarket, they can literally take the cow in the pasture, feed it two strands of grass, bring it back in and say it's grass-fed. It, it's really so free. Ugh. I have a client who's going through farming school in Hawaii right now, and he's telling me like all the crazy stuff. So if you can't afford it, or you don't want to waste the money on it, like that's fine. I buy regular ground turkey. Like I don't really worry if it's organic or not. And and I, I laugh when fitness professionals will post like their food and they'll be like 93% grass-fed. I'm like, why do you have to say it's grass-fed? Like, does that, you know, it, it positions you in an elitist way sometimes where it's like, well, what about people who can't afford that? Are you saying that that's bad? Are they failing if they can't buy grass-fed beef? You know, and I know this is like a major tangent, but that's one of the things that people are told. And so there is a hit list of different foods that you would want to get organic, especially with produce and what they're sprayed with. But when it comes to the conventional meats, like you don't have to completely avoid them in order to be successful. You can still get your protein in. So if we can lower the barrier of entry to people having a successful health journey, then let's do that and not tell them they only have to buy these super expensive wild caught massaged and facial food. Like it doesn't, you know, have to work that way. So that's like one of the big ones. And um, there was another, there's another book or article and I'm totally losing my mind that I can't think of it, but um, oh, in, in Dr. J's book, In Estrogeneration, he talks about the EWG, which is an app that you can download, the Environmental Working Group, and that'll give you the list of all products that are more carcinogenic versus others. 
like sunscreen's a big one. You know, if you want like the top pesticides to avoid for your produce, the lists are on there. Like, and it's very handy and you can just pull it up and whatever they have, like, you know, the top 12 or the dirty dozen or whatever. Other than that, like, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to touch your receipt one time or twice, you know, it's okay. But like, I'm just providing the information and just saying like, it's the little things that add up, you know, like reducing screen time, all those things. I know that was, yeah, that's all. No, that's really good. And, um, you know, one funny side note is um, every time we go out and they give me the option of, do you want the receipt? It's an automatic no. But if they hand you the receipt, I'm kind of just like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me like, too. And my wife makes an ass out of me. She's like, what the fuck is the big deal? I'm like, I don't want you touching it either. I don't want to touch it. I don't want you touching it. Just like, and like, if there's a trash can there, like, I'll take like something and just try and like grab it with something else, drop it in the trash can right there. Um, but anyway, okay. you know, I think circling back, when we talk about like HDL versus LDL, now this is going to sound weird, but I'll bring it back. I promise. Okay. HDL is basically what you need to make sure your LDL stays in balance. So the more HDL you have, the less LDL by byproduct you will most likely have. Now that goes back to TRT, right? Mm-hmm. All the estrogenics or TOT, depending on who you talk to, but all the estrogenic stuff that is being implemented into our life, if we're at a low under 300 milligram testosterone level, and we bring that up to like 900 somewhere in that ballpark to a healthier level, that cancels out a lot of the estrogenic problems, correct? Yes and no. So there's different, like there, there's estrogen, you know, let me back up. Men produce estrogen and testosterone, women also. Men have some progesterone, women have a little bit more. So not, not each hormone is present in both sexes. Men produce estrogen at a much lower rate. The problem with the with the, the xenoestrogens is, is I guess you can label it like the bad estrogens. So if a guy is not on testosterone replacement and he has significantly higher estrogen compared to his testosterone, that is a problem versus a man who is on TRT and he has high estrogen because the, TR, the testosterone he takes gets converted into estrogen, that is not a problem because it's not being created through environmental issues. So to a degree, it does kind of mitigate the, any of the issues that they would have if they were not on testosterone replacement. But it's not like, hey, I can just slather myself in BPA all day. Like they're still carcinogenic and change things at a deeper level than, than we really have to talk about. So I wouldn't say you're bulletproof, but I would say that it, it does help because now you have more of a balance of your hormones and then you're less likely to, uh, I don't want to say fall victim, but like you're, you're less likely to have as many issues, but it's still something that you're going to want to avoid because it, it overall from an optimal health standpoint, that's going to make you be most bulletproof is to be avoiding all of that stuff. We can't avoid it altogether. So it's going to be around us no matter what, but it's, it's a different estrogen on TRT, as you know, versus the estrogens that are like entering our body that have, you know, oh, I'm going to bind to this receptor, even though it's a testosterone receptor or whatever, and just screw up like our hormonal balance. Yeah. So optimizing your testosterone is beneficial, but don't, don't forget about the small stuff. Make sure you're constantly you know, making those small changes to try and rid yourself of the environmental factors. Yeah. And it's not like something you're going to be able to measure, you know, like if you, if you get rid of glass, like you can do labs for BPA and all that stuff, it gets expensive and it's like, all right, well, what is that going to do for you? If you see that it it, it went down, it's not like you're going to change anything. You're just going to continue to do the right thing and, and kind of avoid mass exposure to a lot of these things. You know, so if we just do like, it literally does not like, think of it as an investment. Like you throw out all your plastic Tupperware, the glass stuff lasts forever. You can let it heat up. You can leave it in the car. You can do whatever the hell you want with it. And you can pack tons of different things. You can use it for storage. 
you're always going to have it. So it kind of like negates the expense that you would have continuing to buy more and more of the plastic Tupperware, especially as we all lose the tops and we can't find them when we need more. It happens to everybody, but you know what I'm saying? So like that, and then I, like, like again, the products that if you change them out because you're using them on your body every single day, cool. I'm not saying go buy a Prius. I'm just saying like change a couple things. You'll put yourself in a better position to be more resilient to what is happening to you as you get older. Definitely. And I'll, I'll just say quickly that um, aluminum shaker bottles are very important too. Allie actually taught me this. Um, but yeah, you, you guys have 15 plastic shaker bottles at home and you take them, you throw them in your car, they heat up while you're in the gym, you come out, you drink your shake. That's, you know, probably loaded with some extra estrogen. Now the aluminum ones are a little more expensive, but again, you buy two that are $40, that's 80 bucks. You never have to buy a shaker again, as long as you don't throw it on the ground, yeah. which I've done. <laughs> I mean, the, the ones that I have, so these are actually, yeah, AllieGilbert.com, my old website, whatever. But these are um, stainless steel and these are blender bottle, which are the top like plastic shaker company. My coffee is in a plastic Tervis, but I only drink cold brew. So I'm never putting hot liquids in here, but I use these quite often. However, because I don't put hot stuff in it, I don't really think of it as a problem. Would it be better if I put that in there? Sure, but I kind of, we collect these Tervises. And so we have a lot of them from like Disney and, and Jurassic Park and stuff. But, you know, like you said, it's a single investment and then you're just better off and they last so long. Like these, I mean, wholesale, I think it was like 12 or 14 bucks. So I think retail, they're like, what, $20, $22. So not that crazy compared to continuing to buy tons of plastic and trust me I've got like 50 we threw out so many when we moved like it, it's just you know they're fun they're definitely fun but use them for things that you know you know don't pour like hot soup or hot coffee in them because again it's not tangible you're not going to see or feel or anything but trust me in the long run you're going to be better off so the most important question is I have the exact same shaker, but it has the Incredible Hawk on it. So who would win the Allie Gilbert gorilla or the Incredible Hawk in a fight? I have to send you one of these then because I can't, I can't have you having the Hulk. Though we oh. have <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're, you're going with the gorilla. Yes. See, and this is funny. Cause I don't know if you heard this, <laughs> this speech though. So like, the everyone's like okay for those watching see this gorilla i had him drawn um for me specifically from an artist at marvel and he um he's my logo and the reason he's my logo is because usually what is used for men is the eggplant as a representation of men's health or you know the anatomical parts associated with a man and i'm like yo i don't think you guys deserve the representation of a purple vegetable. I think a silverback is way more cool and much more representative of what you're kind of aspiring to be in the gym. So that's how that got created. And actually a funny story is I was trying to get the guy to, to write the, the right face on him because he couldn't be too angry, but he couldn't be too like friendly. And he kept coming back with different variations. And I was like, I need like, like, charmingly arrogant and i sent him a picture of my husband charlie and he nailed it and so that's charlie's expression on my gorilla <laughs> love it <laughs> yeah for those who don't know yeah. be like what but if you know charlie it makes sense <laughs> yeah charlie weingroff definitely worth looking up uh, to my following he has countless amazing pieces of information out there on rehab He's a physical therapist, but he does things a little bit differently than what you're used to. So definitely check him out. Um, but yeah, silverback gorillas, they, uh, they leg press like 20 times their body weight and something like that. And like bench press five times their body weight. If you actually threw one of them on a bench press, which would be really cool to see. I think you could probably train them to do it if you had the time. <laughs> PETA would be all over that. I would love to. There's like, you know, when is this coming out tonight? Yeah, I'll be putting it out probably by five. Okay, so so stay tuned. If you follow me after this, you guys will see in a few weeks 
that there's gorillas in in the wedding like I got different decorations and stuff like you know we're, we're kind of all in on that but like when I go see them at Disney and everything I'm like damn these guys are like legit they just swipe at a tree and everything kind of comes off of it but yeah they're definitely strong so it, it's it, it's it's just a fun story to break the ice in the beginning of my lectures because I'm like so I'm guessing you're probably like why does this chick have a gorilla as her logo and then I go into the whole egg, eggplant spiel and I have a picture of two eggplants fighting and then two gorillas fighting and I'm like yeah this is more sexy <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm glad you guys are finally able to do it I know you had it disrupted a couple of times due to COVID um four four times, four times. Moved it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and if you guys legally married for a year and a half and, and I'm like this is how it is like most people getting married quote married this year are legally married already so oh that's that's true yeah didn't even really think about that um yeah Allie did uh three well I guess it's four now separate preps to look your best for your wedding and I know I was in the best shape of my life. I did carb cycling, uh, went from 235 pounds to 197 pounds for my wedding back in 2014. Wow. Um, and that's like one of the biggest motivators you could ever have is to get in shape for your wedding. Or some people want to get in shape for their grandkids because they want to see them grow up and things like that. But how do we channel that? How do we put that in a crystal ball? And how do we get people to be willing to do that all the time and just say, hey, Here's my goal, because I wanted to talk about like, you're a big advocate of slow versus fast, which mm -hmm. so am I. I. I have a 350 pound woman right now who perceivably, you would say it's fast. She dropped 50 pounds in four months, but that pace is not going to keep up. I told her, you need to be with me for about three years if you want to get to your ideal weight. And she's super motivated. But the weight doesn't even matter. She could hardly walk when I met her and now she's doing steps. So just in that short period of time, she's now doing steps. Um, so I really wanted to dive into a rabbit hole of, you know, the small changes versus literally throwing the kitchen sink all at once. Because I see so many people, they're like, I'm going to be perfect, Allie and Mike, for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to do the smorgasbord for two weeks. And then they're just going to stop exercising because they did their 21 day fix or whatever the heck they call it. They're like, Oh, I lost 18 pounds. You talk about the before after after. So whatever tangent you want to take out of that, go for it. Uh, yeah, I did a post on it two days ago. So it was really, if you had to choose option a would be, you can lose 20 pounds in six weeks, but eventually you would put 30 back on or option B would be 20 pounds in a year, but you keep it off forever. And it seems highly logical to choose B, but most people choose A. And then they end up coming to, I get a lot of people, um, I don't know about you, but I get a lot of people that go through those transformations and then they end up messed up and then they come to me. So I'm kind of fixing them. Um, so the, the problem with this is that I understand the two week period that everyone seems to have that fall off is because the initial results they see within those two weeks come to a screeching halt. And that's when it starts to get hard. Now, the heavy you, heavier you are and the more weight you have to lose, you can go a little bit faster than somebody like, you know, myself, I'm extremely lean right now. I need to go as slow as freaking possible, right? So the leaner you are, the slower you have to go because it's more likely to be muscle mass if you're losing it at a very rapid rate. Just that's what physiologically happens with the body. Just like when the scale goes up overnight, you can't gain body fat that quickly, but we're all married to what the number on the scale says and we all lose our mind if it goes in the direction we don't want it. So I think Biggest Loser was really what kind of set the tone for this type of approach, yeah. I mean, and, and like how many years ago was that? Like 15 or 10 or whatever? I think they're still doing it. Ugh, yeah, they it's are. It's just different, yeah. different trainers. So in my lectures, I talk about how, you know, I, I throw up three or four photos of, of contestants 10 years later, eight years later now, they've all gained a lot of the weight back. Granted, all they did was exercise for like eight hours and blah, blah, blah. But that was a massive deficit. And the problem with that is when you 
eat below what your resting metabolic rate is, which is the calories you burn just sitting here, like you and I talking, your body can't use energy for anything other than keeping you alive. So building muscle tissue is not a priority. Your sex drive is not a priority. Menstrual cycle, erection, not a priority because all the calories you're giving it, it's like, oh my God, I need to push this to the organs and the brain and just keep this person living. And so when you go into that deep deficit, you lose a lot of muscle mass and you do lose body fat. And there was a study done of the biggest loser. It was six, six or eight, I can't remember now, but I think it was six years later, they still had not recovered their metabolic rate. And usually that's what happens when someone does like a reverse diet or they gained weight back after a very deep deficit. Six years later, they still had not recovered it. And usually that's recovered when, when you reconcile the lean body mass and the body fat that you lost. So they had piled on body fat and they still hadn't recovered it because their body was just so damaged. Now, that being said, pendulum swings quite far in the fitness industry. And we went from starvation, dieting, you know, very strict mindset to now we are anti-diet. You don't really have to give up the food you love, blah, 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 blah. I think there's, there's like a middle ground where you, you have to be uncomfortable for a while. You have to be hungry and, and you have to actually be lower calorie for a period of time. But the problem is too many people are doing that for months on end. You're not going to get metabolically damaged, which is a word that gets thrown around, but I'm going to use it because people resonate with it. You're not going to damage yourself if you're dieting at like three weeks at a time. That's not going to be a problem. It's supposed to get hard. You're supposed to be hungry. You're supposed to be tired. You're supposed to not feel your best. But then you bring your calories up and we cycle the calories so that your body doesn't go through this deprivation for six, seven, eight, nine months, because then we enter into a state where we have an energy deficiency. And that's when kind of the alarm bells go off, hair falls out. People just feel like death. Like, I don't know about you, but people don't sign up with me to say, Hey, I want to be hypothyroid and lose all my hair and my sex drive. Never heard that from a client in my life. So the way to mitigate that is we, we can lower your calories, but we don't have to lower all of them. So, you know, when I have people enter a deficit, I have a lot of people who are not overweight, but they have maybe five to 10 pounds of fat to lose. We enter a minor deficit, 10 to 15%. And then if stuff isn't happening for a while, we go another 10 or 15%. We, go, we don't go straight to 30 or 40%, which a lot of coaches are doing. That will get the weight off you very quickly but then there's no plan for after that weight comes off and they don't really know how to handle the physiological ramifications from doing something that quick. And so when, when you rebound, your body rebounds harsh. And if you do that over and over and over again, over time, it's much harder for you to actually lose body fat in a successful way because you're, you're kind of operating on regular fuel versus premium and when you operate at premium, you can eat a lot more. When you operate at regular, you can't. And that's why you have to eat less and less and less in order to see results. So what we can do is build your calories back up. You might have to gain weight a little bit. And a lot of people are scared of this. And I, I went through it personally because I thought I was like this anomaly that could not have carbohydrates at the level I wanted to. And I'm a special flower and blah, blah, blah. My, my coach, Luke, he, he put me at like 2,500 calories. I gained six pounds, which on five foot three to me felt like 60. I was miserable. I hated my life. Like I'm going to show these photos too, eventually, but it made my body respond so much better. I have not looked like this ever in my life. And I'll be 40 in October ever. Like it's crazy. And I don't have to really struggle. Like I struggle, but I don't have to really die to lose the body fat. Like, yeah, we have periods of very low calories, but it's not sub 1000, which a lot of women have to do to get to look the way they want. And so if you just spend time eating what your body needs, 
get it operating at a level where, all right, we're using premium fuel, we're burning through the fuel, then you're in a position to where you do go into a diet, the calories you eat in your diet were what you would eat to put on weight before. So you're, you're not eating such little amount of calories. You're actually eating calories where you're like, oh my God, like I'm losing fat and I'm eating more than I ever thought. And that's where we want to get people into a position of being able to do, but it's so hard to explain that. Like you can see, I'm struggling to kind of simplify it, even though I've done this 5 billion times, like this is the simple version, but because I know there's non-coaches listening too. Um, it, it's one of those things where like, if I could show you what's happening in your body as we're making all these physiological changes, you would be more likely to be able to stick through it. And the part of, of sticking through it is like when it gets hard, everyone wants to quit. And part of, part of the reason I charge a significant fee for my coaching is because of that investment, people take it a lot more seriously because they really want to change. If I pay $5 a month for a training program or whatever, like I'm not going to pay that much attention to it. But if you take your health seriously and you're significantly investing, you're going to do what your coach tells you. And I will reiterate, do what your coach tells you. Because <laughs> there's times even I was like, I know better. I know my body better. Like, I don't have to take this so seriously. I really got my shit together this year. And I've been with my coach for three years. And he's like, well, finally, it took us like three years to get you to actually be consistent with your nutrition. Because I would be like, oh, I'm eating too much. I, ha I have to lower my calories. And, and my calories were so under what he wanted me at for so long. And he's like, can you please get it together? So we fall, we fall like prey to that too. Like coaches are not immune to screwing things up. And, you know, so I've been through this and everyone sees the product now and they want, they want what I'm going through right now, but they don't see what I went through to get here, which is literally three years. It could have been shorter had I listened to him from the get-go but it's three years of building my calories up, bringing them down a little bit, building them up, bringing them down a little bit. And it's that over and over and over. And it's that consistency that will get you to where you want to be versus blasting your body with a calorie deficit to where you're miserable, you're hungry, your energy is crazy. Your cravings are through the roof. You feel awful. And then you put the weight back on and it's so discouraging because it's like, this cycle of over and over and over again. You don't have to go through that. I promise. I feel like I'm like preaching. You don't have to do it. <laughs> well, I, I love, I love all of those points, you know, and I don't, I don't think people, people realize what we see in a week's time. Um, I have a million examples I could go into, but um, the biggest thing I could say for simplification purposes is, Try and avoid those empty calories because I found, and, and I'm talking in terms of drinks, like primarily, and I love craft beer and I have to do a lot of cardio sometimes, like, and I don't like doing cardio, but I'm like, okay, if I have three beers this weekend, I got to, you know, get an extra two hours of walking in at some point to kind of balance it out just a little bit. Um, but I've had people come to me and their diet says 1500 calories after they track for four days and Breakfast is a yogurt. Okay, whatever. Lunch is like a chicken Caesar salad. Again, okay, whatever. But then dinner, they're just like, you know, I had a piece of chicken and, and a half a cup of broccoli. And they're like, you know, okay, you're not eating horribly, but you're certainly not eating enough. But then you look a little bit further into that. 800 of those calories are coming from frappe lattes. Yeah. Example two had somebody coming to me eating a bodybuilding diet, which I consider. So it's like three eggs, two egg whites, cup of oatmeal breakfast, you know, eight ounces of meat, two cups of vegetables, three times a day and a protein shake. So pretty damn good diet. And the guy's not losing weight. Six months go by. I'm just like, you know, we're, we're making tweaks here and there. We're, we're, we're increasing cardio, decreasing cardio, playing with this, that, the other thing. Find out the dude's eat, drinking five margaritas every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, not logging it. So you know what that means. 3,500 calories Thursday, 3,500 calories Friday, 3,500 calories Saturday in alcohol and sugar. He's not telling me about. 
So we cut him back to two margaritas Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Dropped 27 pounds in about three months. Amazing. And it just did nothing else just because his diet was good. And, and I kept saying to him, your diet's good. I don't know why you're not losing weight. I said, you might want to go to your doctor and, and figure out what's going on because I don't know. This doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, usually it's something like that. Or you know what else is, is um, uh, a lot of the times people don't think to log the oil they cook with or milk they use in their coffee. Even if it's like almond milk, that adds up very yep. quickly. Um, and so I tell people log every everything that goes in your mouth, even your supplements too, because supplements can have carbs and uh, like fish oil is fat. You know, you have to log everything. But yeah, that 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 happens quite often. And, and then they're like, oh, I didn't think I need to log that. Like, you know, no, you got to log your alcohol. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, just simply something you said to me a couple of weeks ago, and I was just telling you, like, you know, I cut back from like 15 beers a week to eight and you're still like eight beers is no bueno. Um, so now, now I'm going on like a self-imposed four week beer hiatus. I'm not, not drinking, but I'm going to do like rum and diet Coke, a couple of those, maybe Friday and Saturday instead, uh, which is dropping my calories from like 4,000 excess calories a week to like 1200. So it's progress. It's not perfection, but that's, I'm all about the whole progress idea. Yeah. Yeah. That, and again, don't let, you know, I told a client last night, don't let perfect be the enemy of good you know, do doing what you can and you don't have to be perfect. Nobody has to be perfect, right? If you want to step on stage in a few months, okay, we've, we've got to cut a lot of stuff out. But if alcohol is the one factor that is keeping somebody from their goals, they either have to accept that or find a way to work around it, but not in the way that people think like, oh, I can lose fat and drink. Just understand what it will do, you know, it, it, it's seven calories per gram. So it's not so much that it's an instant fat store, but it's a fat burning suppressor. And so when we drink alcohol, it gets preferentially metabolized by the body. So anything you eat with it is kind of like, Oh, Hey, like burger. All right. We're going to put you over here. Wait a second. I need to use this alcohol because it's very quick energy and it's a toxin. I got to get rid of it. So I might use you later, but I might just store you. And so I tell clients, if you're going to be drinking, have protein and vegetables with your drinking. Don't do the starch and don't go heavy on the fat if it's extra. Like a lean protein with some vegetables, boom, you'll be okay. But again, I would forego dessert or a lot of starch just because you can kind of take advantage of the thermic effect of food eating more protein and then drinking and then you'll be okay. And you can still have a life and you can still get away with what you want and all that stuff, so. Yeah, I think we covered a lot of ground here, Allie. I wanted to, uh, so if you're at a Perform Better conference, you have a line of 50 people and you have one minute with Allie Gilbert and you say, Allie, I wanna improve my health or my life, what would you tell them? Oh man, that's a lot of pressure. So, you know, I would say the first step would take inventory of your habits and your food and see where you're at with that and, and move every day. You know, I think we've taken for granted the eight to 10,000 steps. It's sufficient, you know, do that, lift some things a few times a week and then recover as hard as you train. I mean, it's very simple. We complicate it. <laughs> we complicate it a lot. And it doesn't have to be so and sleep. I can't get, well, yeah. it's gotta be like multiple. Oh, definitely. I think oh, I said something a week ago and it was something similar to that. And I said, um, you know, fix your sleep first, then think about your stress and how you can adjust that move more. If you're walking 5,000 steps a day, maybe tomorrow do 5,500, do that for a week, work your way up to 10,000. Don't go give yourself shin splints. If you're hardly doing anything right now, yes, you can get shin splints from walking. I'm a 234 pound man. I understand how that can happen pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but yeah, and then from there, it's make small, sustainable adjustments to your diet. Yeah. And 
It's more focused, focused on the things you can add to your life. Don't focus on the things you, you feel you need to take away. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is they're like, I have to give up X. And it's like, yeah, like it, if you're eating cookies every week, that's awesome. Add some chicken breast to that. Like, you know, granted it's contextual, but you know, if you can add walking, if you can add more, you know, massages, or if you can add more time in the gym, if you have none, I'm not saying train seven days a week, but look at things that you can add to enhance your life versus things that you have to take away because that kind of comes with a negative connotation. Yeah, definitely. And there, there, I mean, there's, we could probably talk for hours and hours and hours, but I try and keep it right around an hour. Um, I want every one of my friends and followers to follow Allie. You're going to learn a lot from her. We we're like those type of trainers or coaches that try and put out information to help even those who aren't working with us. Cause we're in it for the right reasons. We're not in it just to get rich and not care about people. We're in it because we care about people. Um, so we'll give Allie just a second to um, tell you where to find her. And I'll put some of that in the show notes as well. But Allie, thank you very much for joining me. Um, great, glad we're friends and we're, we're able to communicate the way we do. And, you know, I appreciate everything you do for me. Dude, I, I was honored that you had me on. Actually, I think I invited myself. So <laughs> yeah, you did. I was like, really? You want to be on? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So, so thank you for allowing me to invite me. Um, you guys can find me on Instagram is really where I'm most active content wise. And the handle is at the Allie Gilbert and it will probably stay like that. I don't know. I'm going back and forth with my last names here, my plural last names. Um, I'm on Facebook and I don't really go on Twitter, but all my uh, Facebook things or Instagram things go to Twitter. I don't know. Instagram. And then my website is AllieWeingroff.com. But if you put that in the show notes, it'll be easier for them to spell wine graph. Yeah. Yeah, I could do that. Gilbert's pretty easy, but yeah. So Instagram, slide in the DMs like Mike did. <laughs> Look forward to meeting you all. Yeah, if anybody has any questions uh, for Allie or myself, you know, you send those on the social media posts and uh, one of us will get back to you for sure, if not both of us. And thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Coffee with a Trainer. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the first ever edition of Perpetual Improvement Podcast, a side project of the Coffee with a Trainer podcast. The big difference between the Perpetual Improvement Podcast and the Coffee with a Trainer Podcast is the Coffee with a Trainer Podcast, we feature guests who are professional personal trainers or professional health coaches in the industry of health, fitness, and wellness. The Perpetual Improvement Podcast will be slightly different where I will give you tangible and actionable tasks and ideas and thoughts which will help you move forward in your life to live a life of perpetual improvement. So today, I wanted to talk about a concept that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I'm going to keep these pretty short just so you get the main gist of what we're talking about. So the idea of, I truly believe that people who work on themselves are the people who work on themselves. Let's think about that again. Let me say it again. People who work on themselves are the people who work on themselves. What do I mean by that? Well, just from what I see is generally speaking, people that are trying to succeed in you know, business, fitness, health, relationships, whatever it might be, they work on those things all of the time. They're always trying to get a little bit better, 1% better, 2% better. Every day, they're thinking, what can I do to be better than I was yesterday? Now, the flip side of that is you all know this person that I'm talking about, and we're not trying to throw anybody under the bus here, and it's okay if this is where you are, but what you need to think about is, think about the people who don't exercise, they don't eat right, they don't drink enough water, they're kind of just going through the paces, they wake up every Monday morning, they're like, man, I hate my job, Friday, as soon as their shift is over, they're like, oh my god, it's the weekend, so awesome, but they just kind of go through the paces, and you know, anybody who's listening to this, that's not the life I want from you. 
for you because I believe that everybody deserves to have the opportunity to succeed. And to do that, you need to, number one, come up with a course of action and realize that you are where you are and where you are is perfectly fine. And you need to embrace that and say, okay, I am where I am. But you know what? I guarantee if you take five minutes and you write down three things that you would really like to do with your life that you would like to improve, and this can be anything. We're not going to get laser focused here. So just think about these subjects, health, wealth, success, happiness, relationships, fitness, or nutrition. If you really want to get fancy, you can sit down and write down all of those seven topics and then give yourself one or two things that you would like to improve in the next week. And then what I want you to do is focus on the one that is the easiest to accomplish. Say you want to drink more water. So go out and buy yourself a half gallon jug of aluminum water bottle and start drinking more water. If it's savings, say you want to start saving $20 per week. I want you to go on your bank and set up automatic savings or automatic investing. These little things will compound over time and allow you to start moving forward with whatever your goals may be. So the type of people who work on themselves are the type of people who work on themselves. Take stock of those around you, the people who are working really hard, trying to succeed, the people that are generally positive, the people that are generally not complaining, the people who are also helping others, those are the people you kind of want to surround yourself with. Not saying you need to go cut everybody out of your life or whatever because they're not on this high-flying disc that you are. But what I am saying is you are going to be the company which you keep. And I forget who said it, but back in the day there was someone who said that you will be the accumulation in personality and finances of the five to seven people you surround yourself with the most. So that's another thing I want you to do. Break out that pen and paper and write down the five to seven people you surround yourself with the most. And next to them, I want you to give a smiley face. If they are the type of people that are going to help you move forward in life, I want you to give a indifferent smile face. So it's just the straight line instead of the frown or the smile. If the person's kind of neutral and I want you to give a big old frown if this person is the type of person that is not helping you go where you want to go in life. They're toxic to you. They're, you know, you're constantly giving more than they're giving you and they're take, take, taking, or they truly don't care about what you're doing. And then you need to think about how you can create some distance. Again, not saying cut them out of your life, not saying, hey, forget about it. They're, they're just done. Like you're never going to see them again. But maybe it's worth having a conversation with them from a good place where you say, hey, you know, I'm working on this and, you know, what do you think? And see if they support you. And if they don't, well, you know that they're truly not your friend. Um, and I'm going to leave you with one little thing here. I'm trying to keep this under 10 minutes. But I have this new idea of inner circle, family, and friends. And these are the three types of people that are in your life. And what that means is, and family does not mean physiological, biological family. This does not mean your mom and dad. This means family, people you consider family. They don't need to actually be family. So you have your friends. And there could be a lot of these. You can, you can find quite a few of these. But a friend, by this definition, is going to be someone who would give you $100, never ask for it back, and would come pick you up if you were stranded on the side of the road. They would drive maybe five miles to come pick you up and drive you home. Those are your friends. So break out that pen and paper again. You should already have it at this point. But write down those people. Who do you consider your friends? This could be a lot. This could be a lot of people. And hopefully it is a lot. Um, then your family. This is the second one. Again, not your actual family. Not your blood relatives. Your family is someone who would give you $1,000, never ask for it back, and they would drive, let's say, 100 miles to come pick you up. Or they might even go out of their way to come help you on a Saturday with a project with your house. So this is your family. I say that should be 
15 to 20 people in your life. So friends should be like the most. So it should be 50, maybe 100 people in your life. And the family, by this definition, would be 15 to 20. Now, the last one is going to be the most important one. This is the inner circle. And you have a left and a right hand. But we're just going to say, assume you're left-handed, because I'm left-handed, because I'm special. And there's five fingers on there, or four fingers and a thumb, right? So your inner circle should be five people. And these are the people you can absolutely count on no matter what. What would the inner circle do for you? What would those five people do for you? Well, those are the people that are going to give you $10,000, never ask for it back. Even if it's their last $10,000, they would give it to you if you truly needed it. They would drive all through the night, maybe two nights, to come pick you up if you broke down. So say you live in Maine and you're down in Florida, they will literally either send you a plane ticket or they will drive two nights in a row to come get you and bring you back. So they'll spend four or five hours, four or five days that is, to come get you. And they might even get you a hotel room for the nights until they get there. These are the people that would do anything for you. They're the people that you work hard with on projects. They're the type of people that you can talk to. They're the type of people that you know you spend the most time with, but they don't need to be family. They can really be anyone. They can be other business owners if you're a business owner. They could be other trainers if you're a trainer. But at the end of the day, think about that and write it down. Who are your five inner circle? Who are your 15 to 20 family? And who are your friends? Write them down. Start living your life that way. And remember, inner circle, those are the people that you must reciprocate. Those are the people you need to be there for as well. Your family, those should be the people that you're there for too, but not quite as much. And your friends, it's always good to have a lot of those. But those are the people that you may only see once in a blue moon. But when you do you know that they care in some capacity. So those are family, friends, inner circle. Think about that. And until the next time on the Perpetual Improvement Podcast, make it a healthy, wealthy, and successful life and get after it. See you next time.